0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Stories with Brie. I am super excited because I'm here with my special guest today, which is Arthur Tangela Williams Spann. She is the author of Sad, Black, and Fat Musings from the Intersection. So I'm super excited to talk about your book and this wonderful work of art. Because <laughs> That's literally what it is. That- well, thank you. Piece together, and it is just a, a, a dynamic story. So, once again, thank you for agreeing to be being, being here with me tonight. Um, if you want to introduce yourself, feel free to introduce yourself and anything that you want the, uh, the audience to know about you. You're more than welcome to do it at this time.
1: uh Yeah, I am Tangela Williams span uh, I'm a special ed teacher and by trade, but I love to write, and I wrote Sad, Black, and Fat. That is my first book, not my last one, but um, I am also a blogger and I do a lot of mental health topics on my blog every week.
0: Awesome, and how important is that? It's very important because, listen, I feel like, especially in the Black community, we need to talk about mental health and we need to um, Mm -hmm. destigmatize it, as we say, and have deep conversations because I I feel like that's the point Uh, where we all get our healing, which is why we're going to talk about your book today. But before we get into that, I want to do the icebreakers with you and each and every guest that comes on, we do icebreakers just so that the audience can get to know them a a little bit better. So if you can remember, what is your favorite childhood book? My
1: favorite childhood book has been, well, there's two. And the first one was Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. And it's just a lot of really silly poetry. There's a lot of alliteration and good rhyme schemes. And each poem has um, an illustration that goes with it. It kind of tells the story a little further. And it's still a good read all this time later. And that's why it's still a favorite in schools. It's still being taught today. So, you know, when every, every time national poetry month comes around they they pull out the shell silverstein collection and all the kids get a treat uh, that's one and my other favorite book is sideways stories from wayside school by lewis sacker uh, he also wrote holes if you guys know that one yep. and um, yeah yeah and each story it's about a class on this goofy school, and each little chapter is about each class, each student in the class, and that's part of why I wrote my book the way I did, is because it's like each little vignette is telling part of the, the whole story, and they're all connected in their own special little ways, and so I thought that was really neat.
0: I, I completely agree, um, you know, being someone who read your book, who's also helped You put it together. I definitely agree that each story, each essay, each poem, everything that you put inside this book could literally stand on its own, um, on its own foundation. But as a collective work together, it really is just a, a sight to behold, something that I feel like everybody should read. Please, go support her. Pick up her book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Once again, it is just for you to look at the cover. Um, This is my artist's copy, so y'all don't be judging my Amazon copy. But I also (laughs) got one that has a little strip on it as well. But um, so do you have a library card?
1: I don't. I am actually moving within the next couple of months, so hopefully my new town will let me get a library card. But I have in the past.
0: Okay, okay. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to need you to utilize your library system, you pay your taxes, get you a car, girl, and and get all the access to everything that they have available. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I feel like the library is just a place that everybody should utilize, regardless of what, you know, tax bracket or whatever you might feel. You never know when you might need the library, and the library isn't just about you know, checking in and checking out books, but you know that. So it is about have creating a actual resource for I feel like this is it's a place where everybody can be equal. And, yeah, you know, yeah. you feel. and so it's definitely important. Um so for you digital or pen and paper?
1: Ooh, uh that depends on my mood a lot of the time. Okay. I still really like pen and paper just when I'm like have to write something down really quick. It's like, well I'm not gonna it's faster if I write it down instead of putting it in my phone but if I have time to sit down and like organize myself then I will use like digital notes or a digital planner and especially when I'm writing I like to write first and just get it out of my head Mm -hmm. and then I can type it and organize from there
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, for me, I'm mostly digital. I think by now, everybody knows that I'm mostly digital. Um, Pen and paper, I, like I said, I think I said before, I'm getting into journaling, you know, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to, and I, I realized over the last couple of years, especially going through this pandemic, how cathartic that was for me to be able to sit and write out my thoughts, actually, since I've moved here. So for the last four years, I've been kind of like journaling out my thoughts and it is just, it is something that is very peaceful and cathartic about being able to sit with a journal with pen and paper and to mm-hmm. see whatever it is that I'm thinking on paper and then kind of like leaving it there. And it, it definitely helps to kind of declutter my mind versus, you know, when I'm using my digital thing, yes, I kind of leave it there, but then I still find myself thinking about it because I, I know that I have access to it at the ready versus yeah. like if I'm using a journal, it's not always fully accessible unless I'm carrying around with me all the time. So I, right. I definitely agree with you on that. And then, so um, who's your favorite author or writer, either present day or you know, while you're in your younger years? Uh,
1: yeah, my favorite author of all time is is Shel Silverstein mm-hmm. um, because he's done so much, so many different things. You might not know about it. He's done the poetry books. He's he's done some songwriting. He's done some plays. He has more adult stuff. He was a columnist for Playboy at one point in his career. So, it's just he's he could do anything he wanted with his words and I thought that was an always amazing skill to have.
0: Yeah, I agree, and you know it's interesting that you bring up Playboy because a lot of times when you think about Playboy, people only think about you know the centerfold and and mm-hmm. you, know, thank you women or whatever. But Playboy was an actual mag magazine that had like good content in it. And I think yeah, it's like that way. <laughs> yeah. Like it had great content and it started off that way, I believe, before it became like what it what it ended up turning into. But I mm-hmm. think that, that the sex appeal made it more interesting. Cause there are quite a few um writers that we, you know, that we know that started writing columns in the Playboy yep. magazine and uh, and people find it very shocking to to learn that fact but I, I thought that that was quite interesting that you never know where you might end up at after mm-hmm. all those years because Playboy I think it's out of print now but so you never know where you might end up, I think it's out of print. Don't quote me. Listen, because I, I don't, I don't know, don't know for sure. <laughs> it might just be digital, like everybody else now. I'm not sure. Don't. I have no don't idea. I have no idea. Don't quote me. I know that there <laughs> Um, I know that fun fact. Hugh Hefner I actually went to one of my alma maters, which is UIUC um hmm. you know, I, there were a couple years ago he was trying to donate his I think his collection or something but they didn't want of course they didn't <laughs> want to play but it was a whole thing wow okay. yeah that's why we're, we're we're not here for that though <laughs> but but they didn't mind taking that money you know that's right
1: of
0: course but yeah so it was just it was funny it's very interesting how where people end up you never know Um, So let's dive right into it. You talked about how you have a blog and a lot of your literature on your blog centers around mental health and it centers on the importance of talking about that. In Sad Black, in fact, I feel like you did a lot of allowing us into your story, allowing us to see parts of you that a lot of people wouldn't traditionally want anybody to be all up in their business like that. So <laughs> like, why this Why this title, first off? Sad, Black, and Fat, Musings from the Intersection. Why did you think that that was an important title to, to name your book?
1: Well, I think the title came from me trying to organize my essays mm-hmm. because I noticed I had a bunch that were kind of about mental health and I have a bunch that were about being black in America. And, American. and then I have some that were about my weight loss journey. It's like, okay, sad, black, fat. Okay, cool. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then the musings from the intersection part is where those three parts of me work together mm-hmm. because I'm not just a sad person. I'm also a black person. And that means something totally different for someone who has not lived that experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm not always, I'm not, I'm, A fat girl too even though I've lost a lot of weight I'm still a fat girl and that starts in your head and that's a whole nother saga that to go down (laughs) so you know I am not someone who can separate those parts of my identity I am all three at once and just trying to show that to people was my target
0: that makes so much sense you're not just this or that you're this and that and I agree and in many ways like I say your book resonated with me because it I can be all three you know Mm -hmm. at any given point you know I've battled with depression I've dealt with depressive episodes situation depression Mm -hmm. situational depression throughout several years of my life and in you know it's a struggle and a lot of people don't realize like when they think about depression they think that it's always just a clinically diagnosed thing something that you Mm -hmm. always go through that you get treatment for but everybody doesn't you know There are people who are manic, you know, have manic episodes or who are clinically depressed, but then there are people who have situations like myself, where it's not always present, but it's something that might happen like um, a traumatic event may cause you to be triggered into something. It, mm-hmm. it, it could be any, it could be a range of things. And of course, we're not psychologists here. Well, I have a psychology degree, let's be clear. But, you know, I'm not a psychologist here. I'm not a counselor in that capacity. So, you know, if you need help, please seek a licensed professional. Please, so just please. This is just my personal experience. So, um, so, let's dive into some of your essays. So, one of your essays, the one that would have me like, why is she in my business? <laughs> like the one that one the one that really hooked me and had me is called The Floor Is in Lava. And mm-hmm. in this essay, I highlighted a couple of things because I like to try to be prepared. But you said some things like there are days when I can laugh and joke with the best of them, and nobody would even suspect that I was perpetually mis perpetually miserable. Woo! Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, and I know this is not necessarily about me, but I, and I'm going to let you answer this and see if you've had these same situations. I remember a time in my life where I was could be surrounded by people. I could be in some of the best places and the best positions, all of these different things in my life. And I knew how to function well. I was like mm-hmm. high-functioning in those episodes or in depression or anxiety. Nobody would suspect that that was what was going on with me. And I'm on the front face, on the front facing self, you know, that two, those two people, front facing self, business self, doing what I need to do, showing up, getting, it, getting things done. But when I came home, whoo, everything was like, I could be in tears that night. Or, you know, I could cry myself to sleep, those different things. Do you feel like that that was your experience or has that been your experience in life? Because, you know, that comes from a deep place. Somebody write that if that ain't, you know, real life for them. So it's talk mm-hmm. to us about that. Like how how was you, you know, working through that? How have you been working through dealing with these sad feelings, I guess?
1: A lot of therapy, honestly, mm-hmm. is the the number one answer to get me to the place I am now which is honestly a better healthier place but at the time I wasn't working through it that was putting on the mask and going on as if everything's okay was my coping mechanism
0: yeah. and
1: yeah. it's not healthy but a lot of people do it and I was one of them you were too I'm sure so I mean go and long as long as I was able to go to work as long as I was able to do what I needed to do for other people, then it looked okay on the outside and that was good enough for me. But we all know that's not healthy. That's not conducive long-term. It's not gonna work out in the long run. You gotta take care of you first.
0: Yes, I agree. Because then like the next page you say black people and then you said black women in particular aren't allowed to show any kind of weakness, which brings me to, and it still frustrates me now, and as I get older, and as I've gone through a lot of therapy myself, the idea of being a strong Black woman, that trope frustrates me to no end. And so, mm. talk about that. What does that mean to you? And how are you kind of like breaking yourself out of this idea of having to be a strong Black woman at all times and not really even allowing yourself to have an emotional response to anything? How are you like breaking out of that and saying, no, this is who I am. This is how we're going to handle this. And this is what's going to happen in my life.
1: Well, that's just it. You know, you're it's not realistic because if you're a human, you have emotions. Yeah. And you should be allowed to express those emotions as a human. If instead of this superhuman image that has been portrayed for so long of black women just being able to deal with all the bull that gets thrown their way, just throw it on their back and keep going, like everything's great. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know. We have drinking problems, we have health problems, we have all sorts of issues. Like we're dying younger because of heart attacks and strokes because of stress and it's not okay. And right now my main thing is, especially to myself, I have to stop myself because I'll slip back into that superwoman thing quickly. If I don't stop myself consciously, I make the decision. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm not gonna do that. What I am going to do is I'm going to go lay down and take a nap. And then if I feel like it, we could talk about that afterwards. But right now, I'm going to do what I need to do for me.
0: I know that's right. And I I think that that was the same thing for me, especially this last year. What I learned was, and it's not, and and I can't blame it fully on the people that I was in relationships with. I have to put my, I have to give myself some of the blame. I was taking Mm -hmm. on a lot of people's cares. Yes. And as a result of taking on those people's cares, I was miserable and you know, miserable. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. was just like, what is happening? And I could not, I feel like I couldn't, you know, on top of also dealing with grief and the, with the loss of people and then the loss of other parts of myself that also caused me to be grieved. And I was just like, I don't feel like me. And I, I don't know at what point did I stop being me? But all I know is that the way and the quality of life that's happening right now, it's not working <laughs> and right. something has to change. And once I started recreating those boundaries, mm-hmm. you found out like, oh, that's what you was going on. Well, that's what you was doing. Like, first off, you ain't God. That's the problem right there. <laughs> you was trying to take on the responsibility for somebody that's higher than you. Like, mm-hmm. why are you trying to take on that for somebody else? when you know perfectly well especially if the table will turn these folks ain't gonna do that for you they're not nope. going to do that for you so stop giving away pieces of yourself that you know that you need and you may not ever get back and it's just like oh let's change this <laughs> let's switch this up and that and that kind of like takes me into your um I want to say it's a short essay maybe even just a poem where you're wrote an open letter to yourself dear Tangi. um why why did you feel that was necessary like did you want to just solidify this space and time for you to be like I can go back to this and I can always go back and refer to this and read it or why was it significant for you to write to yourself and to say sis this is what we don't do and we need to do better why was that important for you
1: because it's a concrete thing you know it's like once you write it down once you put it out into the world it's out there Mm -hmm. and you can come back to it if you need to. And for me, it was just that moment to say, hey, it's been hard. I know, I admit that, but it's okay. And it's going to be okay. You're still here. We're still moving forward. And, you know, it's okay to feel your feelings, but whenever you're done, we still have things to do.
0: Right, right, (laughs) period. (laughs) Okay, sis, get up back then yeah. I remember that because I was I remember last year sometime once again because I was just the quality of life for myself was not very high And during certain mm-hmm. moments I remember being on the shower floor literally crying <laughs> never in my life and I can mm-hmm. just I had never in my life gotten to that point and where I was on. I'm not didn't had some breakdowns but I had never in my life been on in like in the shower on the floor just like crying and I remember allowing myself to have that moment and then I was then I was there and I was like you get up get up (laughs) and I got up and I got up from that place and I said this can never happen again we're not doing this we're not doing this anymore and so now you start to kind of like once again you start making changes even boundaries for myself that I was Mm -hmm. like we're not doing this anymore. Although I appreciate and I allow myself, because therapy has taught me, allow yourself to have the emotion, but after you get through having it, get yourself up and get off this yeah. and, and move forward and, and, and everything's going to be okay. And I feel like, you know, growing up for me, coming from a family who didn't share or show a lot mm, of emotion yeah. towards mm-hmm. each other. I don't even remember, I can probably count on two hands, maybe the, the amount of times that one of my family members said I love you and actually you know <laughs> genuinely mean it um parent wise all of this it's like I don't know if that's all black people's thing but it's just like we don't really express affection and emotion like that it's like you are we're aware that we love you we're aware that we care you know because we show that by our actions and stuff but to physically say those things out of mm-hmm. your mouth a how about you was that your case too
1: Well, I can't say that was my case, but I think my mom grew up like that. And so she made it a point to tell me she loved me all the time to the point of it was kind of annoying. So it's like, I made sure I tell my kid how much I love them Mm -hmm. to the point of being annoying. It's like, you cannot for one moment in your little mind deny the fact that I love you. I'm not going to allow you to do that. And I am really appreciative of my mother for breaking that breaking that barrier in our family you know breaking that cycle because that's really important for kids to know that their adults do love them yeah
0: it is is very important because like One of the things that I had to go through, one of the groundbreaking things that I had to deal with in therapy is being able to, like I said, allow myself to have emotions because I didn't see my people Mm -hmm. cry. If they did cry, I wasn't aware of it. They never did it in front of us. And so all I knew was that, you know, not showing weakness and that crying was a form Mm -hmm. of weakness. And so if I'm crying, that means that I'm weak and I don't want to be weak or be perceived as weak. So therefore I don't cry. Like I'll give myself maybe... One day out, one day out of a year, I'll cry. I literally had compartmentalized myself to only have a cry a year, and I allowed myself one a year. And then, if wow. I did more than one, it was like, What are you doing? <laughs> no, this is, this is not acceptable. We can't do this. I guess this is the like, and I want to talk about this, of course, in my new book. But I literally was that person where I would only give mm-hmm. myself like once a year to be able to have those types of emotions and those feelings and it was just like probably shouldn't probably this probably is not healthy but you know that's what I thought that's what I thought of being in control was you know what I'm saying and that's what I I felt like my way of coping and 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 so it I love how you said that you make it your your business to tell your to tell your child that you love them and your mom made it her business to say the same thing. Cause you even have an essay in here about being present. And so how important how important is it for you in all areas and all arenas of your life to be present? How important is that for you?
1: It's very important because you know, you could be in the middle of a situation like in your work day
0: mm-hmm. and
1: You couldn't be, you wouldn't be focused on what's happening in work because you're worried about an argument you had at the house before you got there earlier that day. Mm -hmm. And you're taking that anger with you to work. Now, all of a sudden you got an attitude for nine hours Mm -hmm. and nobody at work knows what your problem is. So then there's that,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: or (laughs) you're dwelling on a fight that you had two weeks ago with somebody and they have already moved on. Like, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have said that. No, you can worry about that right now when it's happening. Then after that, let it go
0: because it's gonna kill you otherwise. Dude, that's so good. That's some good advice. Listen, I needed to hear that. Apparently, I needed to hear that today. <laughs> Look, that's some good advice. Um, so. I, I, I normally have like I do have questions because obviously I'm asking you questions now and I, I don't want to really stick to the formula because I feel like there's so many things that I want to like deep dive into in your book that it's like that. Sure, yeah <laughs> and so let's move into your second section section of your book which is black and right. one of the the I think the most um treasured essays for me and the one that I really enjoy that I told you I remember we had the conversation, I was like, you need to add this to the book. You need to put this in there. And it was Mama, She Looks Like Me, The Importance of Black Educators. Let's talk about that. You are a special ed school teacher. How important is it? And I don't know if you work in a predominantly Black district or not, but how important is it for, especially for African-American children, to see people educators, librarians, whatever the case may be, that look like them. How important is that?
1: I think it's highly important, and especially, I do work in a predominantly Black district, okay. but most of the teachers don't look like me and the other kids, and they say, you know, if you can't see it, you can't imagine it, and And there's a lot of kids, you know, you're coming from a low income area, you have a lot of trauma in your background, you know, you don't necessarily know where your next meal is going to come from after you leave school, you might not know what kind of situation is going on at your house. Like, are your parents together? Are they even going to be at home? You know, are you staying with some other relatives for right now? Because you guys are unhoused, you know, kids bring a lot of weight to school with them every
0: day. Yes, they do.
1: And having someone at school that can kind of recognize that trauma because they've either lived through it themselves or they just understand from being a part of the community, mm-hmm. it can be a weight off. And I found that, with especially students that are, quote, special needs, they don't necessarily have the skills to just say, oh, I'm having a bad day because of this. They'll just act out. Right. And then they'll be the ones in that school to prison pipeline because they have all these discipline referrals because they couldn't express that they're hungry because they haven't eaten since they left yesterday. Yeah. So just you know, having those basic needs met by someone who could be your auntie, could be your cousin, you know. And when I switch into my mom voice. Uh-huh. the kids know what that tone means, yeah. you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. you don't go sit down, you know, <laughs> they know what that means, Yes, yeah. so it's like, all right, I'm not going to play, I'm going to go do what I need to, you know, <laughs> and that can diffuse the situation right there, absolutely, whereas, you know, a different teacher might not be able to do that, so that's like one little advantage I have, but I, it means a lot to see, have someone that gets you at, on that level just being at school because school is hard yes it is we can just say it like that school is hard for teachers school's hard for students and we're all just trying to make the best of it and get some learning done but it really helps if you know someone's there that cares about you
0: yes i agree because i've been that person I care I carried a lot to school I mean I you know although I carried a lot to school I still in many ways was a very disciplined child and I was under and I grew up in a house where home where it was like what happens in this house stays in this house Mm -hmm. and I was very much so a person once again who was just not emotionally present and so I kept a lot of stuff in anyway so I didn't I wasn't I won't say fortunate enough, but I wasn't necessarily one of the kids that did a whole lot of acting out because also I was just very books driven, very books oriented because that was, to me, that was my way out that was going to mm-hmm. be, education was going to be my way out the hood, like, and that's yeah. just how I felt about it, like, and so I tried my best to do the best that I can, now, don't get me wrong, there were some years there, especially in middle school, um, like, my eighth grade year, there was a, I was very, it wasn't like I was a bad student, but I was very close to the teachers possibly trying to flunk me, because I, it was just a rough year for me, but not taking account for the fact that there are a lot of things happening um like sexual assault and things of that nature happening mm-hmm. in my life outside of school and so at school it's the place that I felt like I had more you know justice or more prudence over myself or you know I felt more justified like I can come because you're safer target and so I agree with you like these kids they come to school because they feel like oh this is a safer space so now I can be more expressive now I can Mm -hmm. you know say how I want to say you know and I know that you're a teacher, so there's going to be less consequence of of you hitting on me or whatever, because you can't do that. And so now I can come into this space. Well, at least you're supposed to be doing it. Let's just say that. (laughs) So now I can come into this space and I can be as expressive. I can be angry. I can do all these things. But as you were saying, as a Black educator, you understand those things. You have that sensitivity to those roles and to those areas. And so... When I read this essay, I was like, "This is so important. This is what we mean by inclusivity, and, inclusivity, and you know, equity and diversity. Mm-hmm. This is what we mean, and this is why Black educators are important." Um, and how do you say, or what would you say as far as that's concerned? How can school systems better market themselves to even like recruit more people of? Um, persons of colors and in of color persons of color I'm gonna get it out. Persons of color and how would they um, how would they go about even making it more like I said more marketable and for those people to come in? What would your strategy be on that in regards to trying to get those people in so that you can these students can have a, I guess a better outlook on life in many ways
1: Now that goes down a little deep. Mm -hmm. And so just bear with me for a second. So in order to get more teachers, which right now is hard to attract anybody to the profession, but in order to get more people to want to be educators, you have to grab them while they're students. And so you can be the best teacher in the world, but if that kid doesn't have that relationship with you, they're not gonna aspire to be like you, like at all. And so building relationships is, I believe, probably the most important thing you can do at school. I mean, education is fine. You can learn something. That's great. But for most kids, I only have with me a year. That means I have about eight and a half, nine months to make an impact on your life. Mm -hmm. And that also goes into building connections with their families and in the community. Because, you know, they, the kids see me coming to school, working hard, doing my best teaching, but not really making a lot of money. Meanwhile, they can go out to the block and see somebody selling drugs or doing whatever with loads of money in their pockets. They're just doing whatever with it. It's like, oh, why would I do that when I can do this? Way easier. You know, it's like, they don't not necessarily see in the full picture there. But another thing is with the, the family piece. You have to build better connections with your families because there's a lot of educational trauma that adults have. And even though, you know, they have to send their kids to school legally, they have to. Right. So, right. you know, if you have that educational trauma in your past and then your kid is having some kind of trouble at school, you're not going to want to engage with the teachers to try to figure out what's going on.
0: Right.
1: So if the kid sees the adults in their lives like, oh, uh, forget them teachers, we're not worried about that school, then that's what they're—that's what's in their head. And that's what you have to fight against the rest of their educational lives is that voice of their parents in their head saying, we don't care about that school, we don't care about nothing going on in there. So you got to become that point person that says, hey, we want you to be a part of our classroom. We want you to be a part of our process. We want you to be a, par- a part of your child's learning them to be the most successful person down the road okay. and that's really hard to do right now but i'm trying i
0: know that's right so you're basically saying that it really does take a collaborative effort in mm-hmm. order for this thing to to work and in order for you to build recruitment you have to be someone that is that's a good example so i agree with that i definitely agree wholeheartedly um, this black section you went into some deep spaces um, <laughs> and you you had a lot of great poetry in here, and um, if you have your book with you, I'm gonna I want you to read one in particular. But I want to talk before we get there. Let's talk about sun and stars because okay. this was so sweet. I think this is like, a, and this poem was an ode to your child, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, why why was sun and stars so important to to include in this space?
1: Well, I wanted to do something for my kid, first of all, because Lord willing, I'm not having another one. (laughs) That was the only one I was having. And that's, that's it. So I definitely wanted them to know that they're important to me, important to my world, even though I tell them all the time. But at that point, when I wrote Sun and Stars, there was a lot going on in the black community with police violence and I think the ahmad Aubrey shooting had just happened and I think there was one I can't remember these names and timelines I'm sorry they all blend together there's so many but I was just really feeling the weight of sending my black child out into the world because they are almost 17 now well no they're almost 18 I'm sorry they were almost 17 at the time and like I have to send them out there into this. And I don't know how to handle that And because, you know, what if that phone call is the next one I get and they're telling me I'm not gonna see my baby anymore, you know, for whatever reason. And that was terrifying and unsettling. And I just, I put all my feelings about that out on the page. And I, I know I wasn't alone. I know I wasn't the only black mother having these feelings
0: mm-hmm.
1: even now and in the past you just you never know you send your kid off to school and that might be the last time you ever see them or off to their job or any place and so I just really felt like a lot of people would connect with those same feelings
0: yes I, I agree I have you know I have black nieces I have black nephews I have black brothers I have black sisters I have black moms dads grandparents all of the above I'm a black woman It was a, I feel like from 2000 and actually before that, from about 2012, really heavily to maybe 2018, there was just years of fear. Yeah. And and being afraid to be stopped by a police officer, being afraid to even cause conflict and stuff like that and I I never in my life and I I come from a family of officers of military people and you know I've been around it my entire life but there was still such a heavy presence of if something happens if I have to get pulled over will I make it home today and the whole Mm -hmm. and we realize that in the black community, we are the only community that have to give our kids the speech, that yeah. have to tell our children comply, even if you're not wrong, you know, even if you're uh, if you're right, comply. Mm-hmm. Because yes. My yes. goal is for you to make it home, not mm-hmm. for you to just be right. You know what I'm saying? And that's a scary feeling. And I had a situation, and I talked about this on my other podcast, Confessions of a Young Adult's Life, driving while black. I was going to a facility for a job interview and I made a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. Didn't see any kind of way to get out. So I started to kind of like back up to try to turn my car around to go back. cars start coming. So I I moved myself back into this little space because cars were coming, and I was, and Mm -hmm. this officer, he didn't have to handle it the way that he handled it, he came to my car window, and terrified me, like, he, I mean, acted a complete Mm -hmm. butt on me, and I was just like, I'm trying to explain to him, and I was like, well, I didn't see a way out, I thought that that did not care, just started acting crazy, Hmm. white guy I don't know if his wife had pissed him off that morning if he was there I don't know what it was that he had to felt that he felt the need to express that amount of anger and aggression towards me that early terrified terrified and I was like you know what okay and this is a government facility that I'm going to so (laughs) I'm already nervous because I'm going to this this government facility and I'm going to a job interview. Why would you do this to somebody? And I'm telling you, I'm there for a job interview. Why mm-hmm. would you do this right before I'm <laughs> scheduled to go into? And luckily, another white cop. Because I and I'm making a point of saying that they're white because this is this is where we've been seeing a lot of this. But I'm mm-hmm. making the point of showing how, although I had one bad experience with one cop, the other cop came in. Uh, you talk about Ram in the bush. Came in and he was very calm. He was very gentle. He even was looking at the other cop like, what is your problem? Like, why are you like he looked at him like, why are you berating this woman? Like, I mean, crazy. He he called me, he called me stupid like three times Mm -hmm. and berating me. And he was looking at him like, why are you even having this response this way? He literally could see the fear that i was terrified, and he was like why would you like why would you even do that but he was just like you know do you know where you're heading and stuff like that he said there's a way for you to get out of here you drive up there and just turn around that's all the other had to do. That's all he had to do that's all he had to do did not and so then i finally get out the little space they stopped traffic for me to get out the space so i can go up and turn and go where i need to go to the actual parking lot that I'm mm-hmm. supposed to go into. Now, I have to sit here and try to get myself together before yeah. I go into this space, crying. I had to sit there in my car, give myself a, a few tears because I couldn't give myself a lot. Yeah. I had yeah. to get myself back together because it's just like, you can't make this makeup up. You didn't get this face. You got to go in here. Mm-hmm. And, you, and I had to go in there into that building to act like nothing even happened. And I'm grateful that, you know, I said, well, God, maybe I didn't need that job. I'm, I didn't end up doing job. I was like, well, I don't need to. Because if I would have had to see him every day, Mm-mm. I do not want to be nope. But mm-hmm. I can understand being paralyzed by fear. And it's just like, but you can have, I, I was also grateful because it's just like, you can have two, two experiences, two separate night and day. Mm-hmm. But it did not, like, it didn't take all that but he did that and it was just it girl it was a mess okay yeah but I, but, then, but the fact that I had to gather myself I couldn't lose control even mm-hmm. though he was losing control and he was yes. saying things to me and acting crazy I couldn't lose control because right. if I would have said one thing out of line he would have probably yanked me out of my car mm-hmm. and, and if God knows what would happen I live in yeah, a space I and I live almost 15 hours away from my family Mm -hmm. they would have never known
1: nope
0: because how are you gonna find out exactly yeah (laughs) like it was it was a whole thing I ended up calling my grandmother after all of it was over and I was just like I ended up and I ended up like breaking down even more because I was just like that that was terrifying experience so I definitely Mm -hmm. understand and I, I I feel you on that, like, and am yeah. glad that that has to be, you know, our experience. And um, I don't know if you got your book yet, but we can we can read it. The one that I want you to read, we we'll probably close out with it, so that gives you a little time if you need to find one. Yeah, um, let
1: me grab one. I used, I usually have it right here, but I can't find it right now. I have these these other things that I'm in right here.
0: Okay, yes, please tell us about what else you got going on and
1: what's coming up. I on. have an essay and um, like a short, like micro fiction and a poem in Brown Sugar Lit in their Nymphaea issue. That's number three, if you guys are looking for that online. <laughs> this was, I have, um, I have an essay in Limoncello magazine. There's last summer issue. Okay. and that is also available on in in print and it is on their website online okay and then this one oh this is two actually and but they're the same press uh, i have this it's called all my relations from the the bitch and kitch <laughs> and it is about people of color, indigenous people sharing their family stories and sharing about their histories. And one of my essays from the book is in here as well. Okay. And I have this one, which is also from the same press. They're one of their previous issues. I have an essay. I believe the black educator one is in this one. Okay. Yes. It's in this one as well. I shared that with them. And I'm also going to be in their upcoming issue that's coming out April 1st, I want to say. Okay. And that is an, that essay is also about education and this whole COVID situation and my feelings about that.
0: Okay, awesome. And can they find, where can they find this information at? Is it on your website? Do you have a website? I'm yes,
1: curious. I have links to everything I have online and things you can read that I've written that aren't just essays some of my creative stuff is on my website it's twillspanwrites.com and it, the link is the name of my book sad black and fat and that is all my um different writing
0: okay. on there and i'll make sure that your um your website is linked and the show notes and everything so that they can get to that um thank you for letting us know about all of the different writing please support we need Black authors, Black writers needs to be supported. Um, so before I let you go, though, because we can't get out of here. With
1: oh that. Wait, let me get my book, though. That was what oh, I was yes, originally please, doing.
0: Please get, yes, please get your book. It's
1: not far. Except remember where I put it. <laughs>
0: She got, her, she got her book out we just pause for that book, book. And so it's my well-loved
1: copy that i keep with me at all times
0: <laughs> and clearly it's really <laughs> good. um so what i want you it's gonna be on page 56 is i want you to read before we leave um but we're gonna deep dive into the last section but i want you to read black girl rising because that's one of my favorites as well on page 56 before we leave but let's talk about the last section because okay. this is the section that of course I um resonate so well with <laughs> because I am also a fat girl as well. Not just in heart but physically. <laughs> I am a plus size <laughs> woman. And you know, and I've been a plus size woman my entire life. Um, I literally, you know, I've always had weight on me. I've always, you know, dealt with that. And I recently just had a conversation with myself. It's not been diagnosed. I don't know how true it is, but I was looking at what body body dysmorphia, what that meant and all of those things. And I was like, do I have, I feel like I have some forms, some symptoms of this. And I feel like that this resonates with me. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah this, I, I was like okay I didn't know that but and because you know body dysmorphia to me is still a relatively I've known about the term for maybe about five or six years now but for me it's still mm-hmm. like a relative new, relatively new term that's not to say that it's not always been around but for me it's fresh right. and I was like I think I do suffer from some form of body dysmorphia and mm-hmm. also that does you know growing up as a plus size as a fat girl all my life people you there is no fat joke that you have not heard that you have not been a victim of that you have not you know dealt with in any capacity your self-esteem your confidence it, it gets attacked on a daily basis you have to literally grow tough skin which is unfortunate in many ways and so that also adds to you not being emotionally available all of these different Mm things and so in your section fat though you talk about your journey in getting surgery you know weight loss surgery and Mm -hmm. girl listen this whole section was so vividly explained and so everything and I was just like ooh, I don't know because I've been thinking I've thought about it but then I was like you know people don't really talk about this side of it they yeah. already talk about what all you have to do to even get to that point and i mm-hmm. was like why is she telling us this but now i'm out look maybe i need to just go ahead and eat these apples <laughs> and these vegetables and go walk because uh uh-uh. mm-hmm. no that's too much you talk about all mm-hmm. the changes the lifestyle changes the body changes the the food changes, the mental changes that you had to go through to like yes. through this process. Can we briefly talk about that? Like, why did you think it was important to tell the other side of this story? We always see the success stories and we see the people, you know, showing off how much they love. Well, they'll never tell us about what they go through to get to that process. So please, why did you think that that was important?
1: I think that right there is exactly why it was important, because nobody tells you the ugly stuff you know, and that's a social media thing too. It's like, you see everybody living their happy lives. Oh, I lost a hundred pounds. Oh, I'm wearing this size now. Oh, I can go do this 5k now. And my life is so much better than it was before. Mm -hmm. That's great and good for you. But there was a long period of time before you got to that, you know, nobody wants to talk about. And I feel like this is a surgery, this is a medical operation, this medical procedures that irrevocably change your body. Mm-hmm. Most of them do. I mean, you can get a lap band, but that's removable, but that's not the point. The one I got was the gastric sleeve, and there's also the gastric bypass. Mm-hmm. And with the bypass, they, you know, they take your esophagus and cut it at the base of your stomach and just reconnect it further down the stomach's still there but it's not in use and then with the sleeve they're actually removing 80 percent of your stomach Wow. so those are actual physical changes they have to go in there and do that usually laparoscopic but that's a major surgery they have to put you under you have to sign all the agreements you have to make arrangements for if something happens and you absolutely should so that's a real big life decision that people need to make. And I feel like to make that decision, people need to be fully informed about what's going to be waiting on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people really are. Cause I mean, a lot of doctors will tell you, you know, this is what we need you to do. And this is what's going to happen. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll do it. I'll be fine until you're in the middle of it. And it's like, oh no, what is this? Did I make a mistake? And, you know, people don't always make it. I mean, people have died after getting these surgeries and that is the reality, just the reality of it. And I feel like I needed to tell my story to help people make a better decision.
0: Because in many ways you are a survivor. You literally yeah. are a survivor. Absolutely. You're here to tell the tale. What type of mental health or mental work, mental self-care did you have to do to even prepare yourself for this?
1: Well, a lot of it was changing your relationship with food. And for a fact, I was, you know, a, a comfort eater. You know, if I was stressed, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're stressed, when you're upset, you know, you find the nearest pizza place
0: mm-hmm. or
1: the pasta place, mm-hmm. or maybe cookies are your poison. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you can't, and that comes from not being able to process your emotions. Yes, because I was turned just- to that thing that's always been there for you and you can't not eat. So it's really hard to break that habit, but you have to dissolve that relationship in your mind between the way you feel and what you're putting in your mouth. And that's really hard to do. I mean, I still struggle with it now. And I got my surgery over two years ago now. Mm -hmm. So, and even now it's like, Man, I had a rough day. Let me go buy this pack of nutter butter. It's like, no, no, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna write some things down. We're gonna go walk. We're gonna drink some water. but we're not gonna do that. But you know, a big of the the big initial piece is changing that relationship with food, especially when you start your diet because a lot of surgeons require you to do a liquid diet before the surgery itself. Uh, some surgeons uh, even require you to lose some weight before they give you the surgery, yeah. depending on how large you are. Mm-hmm. It's like my mother had the surgery as well and she was over 500 pounds at the time and she lost a hundred pounds before they gave her the surgery. Wow, and wow. so that's a lot of big changes you have to make right away and you have to make that decision. Well, is this what I really want to do or do, do I want to spend this money basically mm-hmm. to just put my life at risk? That's really what it comes down to at the beginning stages.
0: Yeah. Cause I'm yeah, I'm the same way. And I actually was having a conversation with another guest about that, about how black parents don't apologize, they feed you, they're they actually feed you. hungry. And and then now you create this dependency on food whenever you're having some type of emotional response. And I am doing the same thing. I am having to unlearn how to because it, it starts happening when I start getting frustrated and you feel yourself like I want carbs I want carbs My, mm-hmm. I desire carbs and it's just like okay but after you get through eating them carbs guess what you still gonna have to deal with whatever emotion and stuff that you're feeling so why continue to stuff yourself and then feel bad now you feel worse because now you feel stuffed bloated agitated because you didn't sit here and ate all of these different things and it's just like yeah, but I, I really appreciate you like telling this story, because it really did put some things in perspective for me, as far as my thoughts surrounding if I even wanted to even consider it. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I want to put my body through that. I don't know if I yeah. even have the capacity or the downtime to deal with that, because then that also plays into fact and brings into factor other mental health things that I would have to deal with and. And do I, especially now that I live alone, do I really, would I really want to go through that living alone? Like that's a lot. And so it really, I appreciate and I thank you for sharing your story because it really did help me in a time where I was considering those questions. And I was like, girl, just get your butt up, get you go <laughs> ahead and go to your personal trainer, go walking do what you know how to do which is make better health make healthier choices tell yourself no if that means yes. that you might need to do some fasting or whatever it is tell yourself no and then that that's where it is but um i want to end this off on a lighter note which is you reading for us black girl rising because like i said it's one of my favorite poems So please feel free. That and and then the essay Flower Power is great too, but read Black Girl Rising for us. And then before you read it, tell people where they can find you at um, and share your social media handles.
1: You can find me on most of the socials, but I'm most of the time I'm on Facebook and Twitter at T Will Span. That's T-W-I-L-L-S-P-A-N-N. And my website is twillspanwrites.com that's where you can find my blog i am updating it regularly again now and you can read all the stuff i've done and i have a page on that website that talks about this book where you can get it and other things i've written that are online yes
0: please you have the floor <laughs> thank
1: you and black girl rising my happiness isn't scary or offensive I can laugh as long and as loud as I please. You should find some joy of your own. My pride in myself and my Blackness has nothing to do with you. Stay out of my way. The way I move my body is an expression of myself. Fast or slow, I'm going to go. Don't judge my groove. I don't smile because I don't want to. What does it have to do with you? You aren't the boss of me. Hey. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Don't try to stop me. My tears are probably your fault. I'll sob if I wish. Deal with it. Let me be angry. Let me get loud. Let me deal with my rage in a healthy way. Would you still be mad if my skin was lighter? You don't own me. Stop trying to contain my emotions. They aren't going anywhere. Perhaps you should.
0: All the snaps. Period. Period. Perhaps you should go somewhere. Scoot, 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 scoot. <laughs> I love that poem so much. Angela, it has been a joy spending this hour with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Once again, go pick up her book, Sad, Black, and Fat Musings from the Intersection. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Please support local black authors we need your help self-published independent authors need love too um thank you thank you everybody for joining us for another episode and we'll catch you back here next week